Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Song Lines and Tan Lines podcast, a place to take a momentary break from your day-to-day routine. Those returning, thank you. The support is appreciated. Those new to this podcast, welcome. Now, let's pull up the anchor and set sail. This week, back to a double song episode, but it isn't two songs by Jimmy. One song is from The Man from Margaritaville, but the other is from a band you may or may not have heard of called The Eagles. When I came up with the idea for this episode, it was initially going to be about The Eagles. But I got to thinking, and you know how it is when I get to thinking. I realized, after that thinking session, that Jimmy and The Eagles are so entwined with each other that it made sense to feature both of them together. Let them both share the stage, which is something they have done before. And the connection goes much deeper than that. Deeper than I can touch on a single episode, even though I do my best to try. But before I dive into all that, let me first dive into Jimmy's song, Who's the Blonde Stranger? This song can be found on the album Riddles in the Sand, which is another one of those albums few know by him, and that is a shame. It is a forgotten gem that needs to be higher in his album catalog. And if you don't believe me, Flip over and check out the track listing when you're done with this episode. I think you might be surprised what songs are on there. Here are a few notes about the album from Wikipedia before I get into the song. Riddles is the 13th studio album by Jimmy Buffett. It was released in September 1984. The album was originally to have been titled Gulf and Western Music, reflecting the fusion of musical styles seen in much of Buffett's music, often called Gulf and Western music. In the album's liner notes, Jim Harrison says, This album has a musical range expanding in an arc from Bob Wills to Bob Marley, with the Gulf somehow always there. The album is the first of Buffett's not to contain a song written solely by him. He co-wrote all of the songs with Will Jennings and Michael Utley. One also with Josh Leo, except for a song by Mac McAnally and one by Rhonda Coulee. Riddles in the Sand reached number 95 on the Billboard 200 album chart and number 18 on the Billboard Top Country Albums chart. The song, When the Wildlife Betrays Me, hit number 42 on the Billboard Hot Country Singles chart. Who's the Blonde Stranger, the song I'm featuring, hit number 37 on the country chart and Bigger Than the Both of Us hit number 58 on the country chart. And Who's the Blonde Stranger has seen the concert stage 74 times, first played in May of 1985, and last played in July of 2019. So, at least it has had a chance to shine off and on throughout the years. Time to take a talking pause and give this great song a listen. And if you get a chance, check out the video for it. It's a super fun one. Nothing like this way out in West Texas. Galveston Bay is a whole other world. My wife's in our room getting over her sunburn. How would Louis Lamore get me next to that girl? She tells me her tan is the same way all over. 
Always enjoyed that song. Honestly, it could have been a song that could have had an even higher rotation in concert than what it has had. It would easily fit into any show at any point in the show. Now, let's dive into a bit of history between Jimmy and the Eagles before I play the song I want to feature by them. Did you know that Timothy B. Schmidt, who played bass for the Eagles, at one point in time played in Buffett's band as well from 1983 to 1985, according to Wikipedia? And did you also know that he coined the term parrotheads? In Cincinnati, Ohio, a place that has been very kind to Jimmy throughout the years. Jimmy also inducted the Eagles into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998. And like I said before, they have also toured together. Glenn Fry, a member of the Eagles, even showed up on Gypsies in the Palace at the very end of the song. So, you see, their connections are deep and plentiful. And if I dug further, I bet I would find many more scattered throughout the web. But that would make for a very long episode. And I know you and I both do not have that kind of time. So let me take another talking pause and play a bit of Tequila Sunrise. Incredible song from an incredible band. I honestly can't think of many bands who had such an iconic run in such a short amount of time. You mentioned the 1970s, and the Eagles are always at the top of the list of bands who owned and ruled that decade. This song can be found on their album Desperado, and it's a good album too. And here's a bit of information about it from Wikipedia. Desperado is the second studio album by the American band, The Eagles. It was recorded at Island Studios in London, England, and released in 1973. The songs on Desperado are based on the themes of the Old West. The band members are featured on the album's cover, dressed like an outlaw gang. Desperado remains the only Eagles album where the band members appear on the front cover. Although the title track is one of the Eagles' signature songs, It was never released as a single. The song Desperado was ranked number 494th on Rolling Stone's 2004 list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. The album did yield two singles, Tequila Sunrise and Outlaw Man, which reached number 64 and number 59, respectively. The album reached number 41 on the Billboard album chart and was certified gold by the RIAA on September 23, 1974, 
and double platinum on March 20th, 2001. Tequila Sunrise has been played live 766 times. Wow. First in November of 1972, a month before this guy was born, and last played in March of 2020. And I'm sure this song will be played live again once the Eagles get back to touring, which they have been doing with Vince Gill and Deacon Fry filling in for Glenn Fry, who sadly passed away in 2016. Before I close, I found this article interesting and thought I would share. It's from WMGK.com, a classic rock radio station. The article is called Jimmy Buffett's Connection to the Eagles. It goes like this. This article referenced a Jimmy Buffett show on July 5th at the BB&T Pavilion. Not sure what year it is, but I just wanted to put it out there because it's in the article and I didn't want to confuse anybody. Okay, the article goes like this. As we celebrate Jimmy Buffett's return to Philly on July 5th at the BB&T Pavilion all weekend, we wanted to take a look at some of Jimmy's biggest influences. The Eagles were certainly one of them. When Glenn Fry passed away, Jimmy spoke at length about his relationship with Glenn and the band. In August of 1975, I was sitting in a dressing room in the Columbia Coliseum in South Carolina, about ready to go on stage. It wasn't your ordinary gig by any stretch of the imagination, and still gives me chicken skin as I write about it this morning. We were opening for the Eagles, the best American band of my generation and many to follow. Any band worth their salt started out as an opener for somebody. Opening for the right band at the right time could be your stairway to heaven. Earlier in the afternoon, Tommy Nixon, one of the road managers, had invited us to watch the Eagles sound check. I sat there with all the members of the Coral Reefer band in awe. And when it was over, we strolled back through the empty arena towards our dressing room, and I said to my band, that is the kind of band we want to become. Waiting to go on that night seemed like an eternity. Mixed emotions were flowing, fear, excitement, and a lot of what-ifs were running through my head when the door suddenly opened and in walked Glenn Fry. That was the first time we met. He greeted me and the band warmly, thanked us for being there, duh, and said to me how much he loved A Pirate Looks at 40. He wished us luck and then went back out the door. That was the beginning of a long and lovely friendship. Only a few people really know how significant Glenn, Don, Irving, and the Eagles were to my rise through the ranks of bands, trying to achieve just a sliver of the success that they had achieved. After that first night, Glenn and I went on to become close friends, songwriting collaborators, and neighbors in Aspen. He and Don were instrumental in getting Irving Azoff to become my manager and eventually opened for the Eagles on the Hotel California Tour of America. Imagine that, folks. Seeing Jimmy Buffett in the 1970s on the Hotel California Tour, opening for the frickin' Eagles. Okay, back to the article. It goes, which was the rocket ship we rode to eventually becoming a headliner. When the Eagles were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I mentioned at the start of the episode, they asked me to give their induction speech. I was humbled. Glenn was a true friend, a true professional, an inspiration, and sometimes could be a handful. I cherish great memories of our time spent together and will never forget his kindness that first night 
and her friendship for all these years. Wow, I was only going to do a snippet of that article, but all of it was interesting, so I thought I would read it all. Hope that is okay with 102.9 MGK Classic Rock Radio. Let me drop anchor here and close out the episode. You can hear my voice talking music on the Audible Ecstasy podcast and talking horror on the Nightlight Tales podcast. You can email me at songlinesandtanlines at gmail.com and all my other social areas can be found in the description of the show. And if you enjoy what I'm doing, don't forget to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. And I'm still reading my story, The Living Sand, one page at a time after the ukulele plays. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers and aloha. Still here, waiting to hear another page? Thank you once again for tuning in, or thank you for just tuning in and checking out what this is all about. The story is called The Living Sand. Pick it up on Amazon today if you want to support me and if you want to support this podcast. Let's get into it. When they reached the cave, they stopped just outside the entrance. The full moonlight above did not penetrate the blackness inside the cave. That light seemed to reflect back to them, like it was scared to enter that enclosed space. Junior turned on his dad's flashlight, which pushed out a light that was almost worthy of spotlight status. This light was somewhat soothing to the boys, even though their heart rate didn't agree. They were now beyond afraid. They had now moved on to full-blown terrified, but they weren't about to turn around now. You ready? Junior asked, knees shaking. Sure, Seth replied, surprised his friend was not sending insults his way, daring him to go in first. Let's go then, Junior replied, and stepped forward. The interior of the cave swallowed him up with eagerness. Seth looked back towards home, to the sky and moon above, breathed in, breathed out, and then followed after his friend.